You know, um, <clears throat> names are really, really important uh, to, to people. And names are really important to us. And when you're a parent, the name you choose for your child is important for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's just because that's the name you picked. Sometimes it's because it's a family tradition of names. Um, Crystal's middle name is Alice, for example. She's named after her great aunt Alice. Um, my dad's name was Benjamin Franklin Aiken. My brother is Franklin Scott. Why he left me out of the equation, I don't know, but I was I came first. But anyway, that's fine. Uh, but you know, we have names, and names are really important. And and when your kids are going to be born, nobody goes to Walmart and goes to the I think I'll name them, you know, whatever. Mattel or, or whatever, you know. Um, you know, you a lot of thought goes into a name. A lot of because names are how we identify people, and sometimes you say a name, and it just man, it just brings joy inside of you. And sometimes you say a name, and it just brings fear and resentment and, and, and inside of you, because the name resonates with us, and so that's why God, in His Word, gave us these amazing names, and in the Bible. Names were, were important. For example, Abraham's name means exalted father. It's a picture of who he was going to be, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. Isaac's name was really cool because if you remember the story, Isaac was born when his parents were 190 and his mother left. Literal translation of the name Isaac is that's funny. So that's what his name means. It means that's funny. So you had Peter who was who was Simon who became Peter because Jesus changed his name to associate with what he would do and he would be a leader of the church, but he would be a rock because that's what his name means for people in a time when, when the church was under siege and Christians were being persecuted. It would be Peter, this rock, who would tell the church, just hold on, just hang in there. Saul, persecutor of the church, became Paul, the great missionary of the church, wrote... Uh, most of the New Testament. So names are really, really important. And when it comes to God, names are really important. And so while we have talked about God has this given name, and we're going to kind of remind you of that in just a second, there's all these descriptive names of God. So let me remind you of something we talked about a couple weeks ago. Why all these names? And why they matter? And that's because God is anxious to show us who He is. And He reveals Himself when we see the names that represent Him in the Bible. In other words, these names reveal His character, but His names reveal His provision in our life as well. And so we've been on a journey looking at who God is, and so we've talked about that God's given name is, is what we call Yahweh. It's literally just four uh, letters, four consonants, no vowels, and it was a name so holy that it, it, you wouldn't say it out loud. It's the sound of breathing when you try to sound it out. And so, we understand that these things are important. When you see I am in all caps, or the word Lord in all caps, it's God's holy, unpronounceable name. It's the most frequently used name for God in the Bible. But there's a whole lot of others. For example, then we talked about this idea that God is, is what we would say is Abba. He is the Abba Father. It is the most deeply personal name for, given for God. It is the closest thing for us would be like the word Daddy. It's a term of endearment. You know, that signifies a special connection and relationship between God and people. 
Jesus came into the world so that God wouldn't lord over us, but that we could be personally connected with Him. Here last week we talked about Yahweh Yira or Jehovah Jireh, and that is the God who provides that God's name and His nature reveals to us that He just wants to provide for us. Which kind of leads us to the next place that we find in our journey. And that is the one made famous by Amy Grant. Uh, for some of you, you're, that is going to take you back. For some of you, you're going to go, who's that? If you're in the who's that category, talk to your parents when you leave here today. Uh, and if your parents aren't young enough, then have mercy. But we understand that God has this name in the Bible. It is El Shaddai. And El Shaddai is the one who is all-sufficient. Sufficient means that He is more than adequate for whatever purpose. He is El Shaddai. He is all-sufficient for anything. What it means is this. Whatever you need, whatever you're looking for, whatever you face in life, El Shaddai is all you need. And that name reveals to us this, this important character trait about God that whatever we face, whatever our circumstances, whether it's our fault, or we're just an innocent bystander. And the truth is, sometimes our circumstances are our fault. Sometimes they're our fault. We mess up. Sometimes we're an innocent bystander. Regardless of how you get there, what we learn about God is that El Shaddai is enough. So we're going to talk about a period in the life of Abraham when this was revealed to him. And so last week we fast forwarded a, a long time in the Abraham's life, like a, when he was like 112, 115. This week we're going way on back. Okay? So, way on back. So, let me, let me read this and then we're going to go back and talk about this whole thing, okay? This is in Genesis 17. And this is when Abraham is known as Abram before God changed his name to Exalted Father. When Abram was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, that's El Shaddai, Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. In verse 2 he says, Then, when? Then, when you walk blameless, when, when you follow me, when you do what I say, then I will make a covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And so you might be thinking, well, we've already been here and done this. So let me kind of backtrack and give you some history, okay? Because that, that word then is really important. Because it sounds like God's making the same old promise that he made. So let me remind you, let me kind of tell you what's happened. So when Abraham was 75 years old, God told him to pack up, leave his home, and go. And just, just to go, and, and he would let him know when he got there, and he went on this journey. For the next 11 years, Abraham would make some horrendously awful decisions. Now he was still faithful to God, and he was still following God, but sometimes he didn't trust God and sometimes he put himself in his hands instead of in God's hands. Sometimes he trusted on his means, you know, his, you know, I can figure this out instead of just trusting that God had a plan for him. Has a couple of occasions where he convinces that literally gives his wife away to a king to save his life. Now he gets rich in the process, but that's a whole other story. And 11 years after God told him to leave, he made the mistake that changed the world when Sarah became impatient and decided God was not going to deliver on His promise. And literally gave him another woman. And he's a dude. And he said, okay. And, and the world has never been the same since. 
So at 86 years old, he made this horrendous mistake that the world's still paying for. And so then, four years later, at 90 years old, God reappears to him and says, here's the deal. I'm still with you. I'm still planning to do this covenant thing with you. I need you to obey me and do what I say. I need you to follow me. I need you to stop doing things your way and start doing things my way. And if you'll do that, this covenant that I promised you, it's going to happen. But it's going to happen the way I want it to happen when I want it to happen. He would wait four, four more years before his son would be born. Ten more years, excuse me, before his son would be born. So understand this. Put yourself in Abraham's position. God told him to leave his home, to go, and he promised him he'd be the father of a great nation. His name would be great forever. Everybody would be blessed because of him. And his descendants would outweigh the number of grains of sand. And he waited 25 years for the fulfillment of that promise. Let me say that again. He waited 25 years. For 25 years, he had to trust God. For 25 years, he had to be patient for God. With 25 years, he had to resist the urge to do things his way, which he didn't always do. He waited 25 years for one promise to come true. 25 years. Man, what happens when we have to wait three months on God? Six months on God? A year on God? What, what happens when, when God doesn't work fast enough for us? What happens when we think God's supposed to do something, but He's taking His sweet time about it? When we get to 25 years of waiting, then we'll know what it's like to, be in Abraham, to live in Abraham's shoes. But until then, our job is to trust God, obey God, do what He says. Because here's what we learn in the waiting. We learn that El Shaddai reveals Himself to us in times of uncertainty, in times of chaos, in times of fear. El Shaddai reminds us that He is powerful enough, loving enough to sustain us and provide for us. Now I'm going to read this last part of this again because it's really important. El Shaddai reminds us that He is powerful enough, loving enough, to sustain us and provide for us. That is the promise of this name, El Shaddai. Loving enough, powerful enough, patient enough, He can sustain us and provide for us. And for 25 years, Abraham waited. Some of you are waiting. We're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And sometimes... As we talked about a couple weeks ago, sometimes we're waiting on God, but God's waiting on us to do what we're supposed to do. Sometimes we do what we're supposed to do, and we're waiting, and God's waiting for the right time. Because here's what I've learned my timing's okay, his timing's perfect. My timing is flawed, his timing is perfect. My ways. Eh, you know, they can sometimes good, sometimes bad. His ways, perfect. And as in El Shaddai, the one who is all sufficient, that we understand that his timing in our life is perfect. He moves when he's ready to move. 
He operates at His own time clock. He doesn't need our approval. We need His. Now this word El Shaddai is a really interesting word too because it comes from two words and the word El is, is, is the word Elohim we see in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. And if you want to know where this shows up, way, way back in the day when God appeared to Moses and they got the Ten Commandments and He said, I am the Lord Almighty. I'm the Creator. I am God. I'm cre-. And He's basically declaring to Moses and the Israelites, uh, I'm the Creator. I'm the most important and powerful thing you've ever seen. I'm the greatest force of nature there is because I created nature. That's what this word Elohim means. So it's the image of this all-powerful God. But the last part of that, Shaddai, is this, comes from this Hebrew word which literally means a mother's breast. And it's associated with tenderness. And so what we understand is that this name El Shaddai, the reason He is all-powerful enough and loving enough to sustain and provide for us is because He is all-powerful and greater than anything we'll face at the same time, compassionate enough to love us as we wait on Him to move. He is El Shaddai. He is the one who is all-sufficient. The psalmist uh, says it this way in Psalm 91. It says this, verses 1 and 2, then 14 and 15. It says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And down down in verse 14 it says this, Because He loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue Him. I will protect Him. So this is the Lord talking. Okay, understand this. Because David, this is to David, because David is rested in the sufficiency of God and trusted in the sufficiency of God. The Lord says, because he loves me, because he trusts me, because he's willing to lay his life in my hands, I will rescue him. I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And so what we get is this image that that God is powerful. But He's loving. He's mighty. And He's compassionate. And what El Shaddai simply means is this. It's something we've talked about here a few times. It means whatever's going on in your life, He's enough. That's what it means. He's enough. Here's how you want to know if you trust in the sufficiency of God. This is, this is how you know if you really trust in El Shaddai. Ask yourself this question. If I lost everything that I value on this earth and everyone I value on this earth and all I had was God, would I be okay? That's the question. If I lost everything I value and everyone I value and all I had left was me and God and nobody else and nothing else, would that be enough? That's what El Shaddai is. He's enough. And He's all that we need. But here's the other thing about El Shaddai that's really important, is that he re- El Shaddai reveals Himself to us in the most important way, and that is Himself. He provides Himself. God loved the world. He, he, he worked through prophets and through circumstances and through kings. And then He, and then he, st- and then he kind of for 400 years was silent, sent Jesus into the world. 
For 33 years He was with us. Jesus left. The Holy Spirit came to be with us. It's a promise that He is always with us. In Zechariah chapter 1, we see these words. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to Me, declares the Lord, and I will return to you. And that's a promise. Return to Me. Find your way back to Me. I will always find my way back to you. Because He never leaves. Because He's always with us. When Jesus ascended into heaven, and the world said, now what? God's with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you've been baptized into Christ, now people stop right there and say, well, what do you mean you've got to be baptized? Because here's what the Bible says. Holy Spirit comes at baptism. That's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. That's when the Holy Spirit comes in your life. Well, I think the Holy Spirit's before. Well, you take that up with God. Because He says in His Word that it, the Holy Spirit, the promise of the presence of God, the promise of the assurance that God is with me comes when I completely surrender myself to Jesus. That's when He comes. That's not Jay's Word. That's what the Bible says. That's why I didn't write the Bible. That's why we didn't write the Bible. What it means, when you just strip it all down, what it means is this, that God is like a mountain. And I want to share with you when, I, when this became really real for me and personal for me. So I want to take you back years and years ago, back to the, the mid-90s. And so we're gonna, Jim's going to follow along here. And uh, I'm going to tell you about my time in Kingsport, Tennessee and what it taught me. Okay, you can go ahead and go to that first picture if you want to. All right, this is Church Circle. In downtown Kingsport. Now I'm going to tell you right now, when it snows, that is awesome. I understand we're not going to see much snow down here, so um, I ain't gotten over that, but I'm working my way towards it. But um, Church Circle is like the middle, literally in the middle of Kingsport. Kingsport is really spread out all over the place. I'll go to the next slide. Now, this is a picture of Kingsport from Bays Mountain. Bays Mountain is one of the mountains that surrounds the city of Kingsport. No matter where you stand in Kingsport, you see Bays Mountain. No matter where you stand. I'll go to the next one. Now this is a view of Kingsport. It's hard to see. It's down in the valley there. This is Clinch Mountain. There's nowhere that you can't stand in the city of Kingsport and not see Clinch Mountain. There's nowhere. Everywhere you stand, you see Bays Mountain, you see Clinch Mountain, because they're a part of the Appalachians. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Now, this is the really cool part. This is Sam's Gap. This is uh, North Carolina on the, on the state line. This is the drive-in from the mountains from Mars Hill, North Carolina over. And it is absolutely one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen in my life. When you drive over the mountain in the North Carolina, you see the North Carolina mountains, and you get into East Tennessee, man, all you see everywhere you turn are mountains upon mountains upon mountains. And it is beautiful. Go ahead and go to the next one. And this is basically the drive into Kingsport. This is the drive into Solomon County. And what you see as you drive in are mountains and mountains and mountains. This is what I learned. And this is what I want you to understand. So you can go ahead and go to the next thing. That El Shaddai is an immovable mountain in your life. That's what he is. An immovable mountain. He's a fixture. So just like when we lived up in East Tennessee that you nowhere you could stand and not see mountains, 
in the city or in the county for that matter. There's nowhere that you can be on this planet that the immovable mountain called El Shaddai is not present and in your life. There's nowhere you can go that He will not be with you. He's a fixture. And there's not a force on the earth that can remove that or change that. When I, learned, when I figured that out, and I was a little late in life when I kind of embraced this, that no matter what's going on, that God's like a mountain. No matter where I'm at, He's there. No matter what I'm going through, He's there. And these mountains are beautiful and they're majestic. But if you've ever camped up on a mountain and the weather's changed, I'm going to just tell you right now, when the weather turns sideways and you're up on a mountain, things can get really rough really fast. That's a whole other story for a whole other day. But you know what I learned even up on the mountain? That He is an immovable mountain in my life. And that's what He is to you. And so when I say to you, if you lost everything on this planet that mattered, every person in this life that mattered, if it was just you and God, would He be enough? I'm telling you, He's more than enough because He's an immovable mountain that no force on this planet can take from you. This is what uh, Psalm 27 says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Verse 2 says this, When evil people come to devour me, when enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. Let me translate that for you. David says, it doesn't matter what happens on this planet. It doesn't matter what people do to me. It doesn't matter how great my enemies are. It doesn't matter what I have. It doesn't matter what I lose. The Lord is with me no matter what. And if I lose everything, I have Him. Therefore, I will remain confident regardless of what happens in this life. Because He's an immovable mountain in my life. That's what those three verses mean. He's an immovable mountain. He is El Shaddai. He is the one who is all sufficient. That's who God is. We have all these names for God in the Bible. They're really important. When we start to understand what they reveal about the promise of His presence, the promise of His deliverance, the promise of His character, the promise that He is greater than whatever we face on this planet. That He is a mighty, immovable mountain in your life. That's what He wants to be. A mighty, immovable mountain. The question is, is that who He is to you? Is He truly El Shaddai in your life? Is He really all you really need? I mean, I mean, really. It's easy to say, yes, He is. Until things start turning sideways in our life. And when things start turning sideways in our life, then we find out 
if we trust in the sufficiency of God or if we're going to put life in our hands. He is the one who is all sufficient. He is more than enough. Whatever you face, He is loving enough, powerful enough to sustain us, to deliver us, to lead us, to comfort us. If you'll just let Him. Lord, um, sometimes we talk about how much we trust You and we talk about how much uh, we need You. We talk a really, really good game sometimes until life turns sideways and things fall apart and we realize we've lost something really important to us or we're losing something important to us. doesn't matter if it's our fault or not. In those moments, I think sometimes we forget who you are, who you want to be to us, that you want to be sufficient for whatever we face. You desire to be enough whatever life throws at us. Whatever mess we make of our life, that you are always enough. So incredibly grateful that you reveal yourself to us in these names that show us who you are and what you are to us. Lord, may we lean into your care just put our lives in your hands and trust that you are all that we really need. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.